Super Talk Mississippi media production. You're listening to Sports Talk Mississippi On Demand, presented by Pearl River Resort. Escape to Choctaw, Mississippi and enjoy world-class gaming, the Dancing Rabbit Golf Club, and Geyser Falls Water Park. Escape to Pearl River Resort. To the junction, in the grove, and to the top. This, this is Sports Talk Mississippi. On your radio and in the game. Right here on Super Talk Mississippi. New week. Back with you on this Monday, Sports Talk Mississippi, streaming online at supertalk.fm. Listen to all these names. Richard Cross, Brian Scott Rippey, Brian Haydad, and some guy named Borky has made it back. Borky, what's up? You're not going to believe this, but I'm tired. Uh, I believe that. <laughs> I, believe, I thought you were going to say you're not going to believe this, but I have a baby. Yeah, I've got one of those, too. Kicks, yeah. screams, you know, the works. I believe it. Welcome back. Congratulations. How's life? I was really good. Um, the aforementioned lack of sleep is catching up to me a little bit, but that's all right. That was to be expected. Uh, otherwise, I've got a happy and healthy, uh, now probably just over seven-pound little boy at home. So life is good. And I hope a happy and healthy wife as well. Yeah, she's great. Um, Don't give her weight. <laughs> Yeah, don't do that. <laughs> Bad idea. Uh, not going to do that on the air. But no, she's good. Uh, she's tired as well. But um, everything, knock on wood, so far has gone very, very well for uh, for him and us. So uh, counting our blessings and ready to get back to work, though. I, I think Hey Dad would... Well, Hey Dad may not be the best example because he sleeps a lot. But generally speaking other than for small little pockets where, I don't know, maybe you get away for a weekend and you just relax and don't do anything and maybe a, a grandparent keeps little people, you're going to kind of be chronically tired from now until forever, and you just learn how to deal with it. So it's not like you really feel tired. It's just like your new normal. Fair enough. And I don't sleep all that much anyway. I'm like a six-hour-a-night-at-most guy anyway. Ah, uh, you'll be fine then. Yeah, it's just the, the periods of putting that all together. Like, for the last week, I mean, I barely got to listen to the show. I tried as much as I could. It's just, you know, he would not sleep at all at night, and he'd go down at like 3.15 in the afternoon, and it's like, <laughs> if I don't try to sleep right now, then I'm not going to later, so i got to do it now. That's That's been the problem. It's the not in one block. It's the yeah. four blocks in a day where you've got to try to squeeze in an hour or so, but it's pretty pretty great regardless. Fair enough. Hey, Dad. Hey. Howdy. Howdy. How was uh, how was your trip to Texas? It was fine. I, I, I had a very enjoyable trip. What did you think of the stadium? Oh, it's fantastic. You weren't wrong. Uh, really, really great facility. Great, great press box. Uh, and I would like to see it packed for a big game because I mean, the uh, when the war him happens, you know, you, you got a little bit of sway, but it wasn't very much. I was thinking, yeah, that must have been incredible back in the day, like when Alabama was coming in with play Manziel or something like that. Did you go to Midnight Yell on Friday night? I did not do that. No. Why not? 
I got up at uh, 4.30 on Friday morning, and then it took me about three and a half hours to get to Birmingham because I was going through whatever Noah went through when the when the flood came. And then I, I, I flew to Houston, and then I drove to college. I went to sleep. <sighs> Only time you've ever been to College Station, and you chose to simply skip out on Midnight Yell. Well, don't fire me between now and 2021, 20, uh, and I'll go next time. 2021 or 2031? A&M? No, that's a, that's a West game. Oh, that's right. Yeah, you'll be there in two years. You can yeah. check it out next time. Hey, Rippy, how was your weekend? Pretty good. I didn't do anything. Yeah? Yeah. Sounds I great. Kind of, I kind of fell into that category also, and it wasn't by design. It was more kind of a function of the rain. Mine was by design. Yeah. Fair enough. Borky, is your kid doing chores yet? <laughs> Dude, he's not even going to smile for four months, I just learned today. Like, nah, he, it's not true. That's not true. Are you sure? Yeah. Yeah, I mean, he's not going to give you like a big old toothy grin because he doesn't have teeth. But your kid's going to smile at you unless he just hates you. Well, see, I, my wife and I were texting back and forth, and she said a couple months, but I Googled it, and it said around four months is when babies start to like actually smile at you because they're happy. Nah, they'll give you a little look where it looks like a smile. You'll convince yourself of that anyway. All right, good. But yeah, no, he does nothing, Rippy. He literally he You're sleeps. Cleaning toilets yet? <laughs> he sleeps. He cries. He eats and he poops, and that is all he does. Sounds like a heck of a life. It's pretty good right now for him. <laughs> is that what you did this weekend? <laughs> pretty much, yeah. You didn't cry any. <laughs> I did not cry any. I had a pretty enjoyable weekend, but yeah, other other hobbies that I shared with Borky son, yes. C Spire text line is open to you. 601-879-4395. 601-879-4395. Greg and Nettleton said he's back. Yes, what's up, Daddy B? Love it. Richard and Wiggins says, glad to hear you got a healthy baby. William in Greenville. Oh, he's not talking about the baby. He says, listen to the state game Saturday on the radio. Sideline announcer kept saying Joe Moorhead was looking For consistency. Well, he's pretty consistent. He's lost four in a row. And then uh, funny how having kids work actually turns into your break. Oh, oh, work actually turns into your break. Uh, So there you go. Uh, Lucas and Union, yes, it's true. Borky, around four months is when your kid will start actually smiling and laughing at you. Borky's baby sounds like, hey, Dad, never smiles. (laughs) Small all the time. I'm happy. Like, I was looking uh, stuff up the other day, just what to do with a newborn baby, and one of them was, like, do the airplane thing. And so I tried it, and it's like, this kid wants nothing to do with what I'm doing with him right now. He doesn't enjoy it. He wants me to put him back down. Dude, it's like people that talk to their dogs. Like, I kind of talk to mine, but it it does nothing for them. Like, I'm, I'm trying to airplane this baby, and he's just staring at me like, you idiot, put me down. Here's one. Every time he has gas, he will smile, Borky. Another thing we share. (laughs) Uh, Jason and Flagstaff, that baby will smile next week. Forget Google, Borky. Uh, Jason also says, going to start a uh, reaction Monday with this, guys. I'm still not on the fire Moorhead bandwagon completely, but I can't defend him anymore either. If we lose to Pig U, I think he means Arkansas, he's got to go. Mullen... Regardless of what people think, takes Keaton Thompson, and he's at least six and two right now. 
have to believe that most anyone else would have done the same. Moorhead has about a pinch of dust left in his hourglass as far as I'm concerned. Hmm. I, I would take exception with, uh, by the way, Jason's right outside of Flagstaff, Arizona. Says it's 33 degrees right now. There you go. Winter has arrived. Jason, here's the one thing I would take exception with. If you are a big proponent of what Dan Mullen did with quarterbacks and in player development, it's hard for me to to take you seriously at saying he would have had them at least six and two, and so would anybody else. I think when you say it that way, you're not giving Dan Mullen enough credit for his ability to work with players, quarterbacks in particular, and get the most out of them. Because I don't think you can just roll any old body out there and expect to get you know four games above 500 through eight games uh, with anybody. Um, I'm not I'm not trying to pick nits there, but uh, anyway. Got a bunch to get to this afternoon. We'll obviously spend some time on uh, Mississippi State's trip to College Station, where they lose on Saturday. Southern Miss got a win. It was uh, it was a little ho hum late touchdown that was important for some. If you know what I mean, they get the win against Rice, and now get some time to uh, get ready for UAB. Big win coming up, or big game coming up in Conference USA for Southern Miss in a couple of weeks. College football playoff scenario shaken up a little bit because of some upsets over the weekend. Michigan beat a ranked team, a top 10 team, and they did so in impressive fashion. Did you see their quarterback stat line in that game? What was, uh, Shea Patterson was three for nine, is that right? Six of 12 for 100 yards, and they scored 45 points on Notre Dame. Run, baby, run. Run, baby, run. Coach O and LSU. Jump to number one in the country. Things that you probably wouldn't have believed a decade ago. Drew Brees comes back to the Saints. That's what happens when I'm running the train. Number one. Does it now? Yeah. Quinn, if you're listening, you can uh, take uh, whatever anger out you have on Hey Dad. That Auburn game was about as predictable as possible, right? It's like you figured they'd keep a minute, but they didn't have the quarterback to actually make it an actual contest. Like that went about as close to a script as a game can go. That was the one football game I watched this weekend on Saturday. And it just it wasn't as entertaining as I wanted it to be. It was okay. Yeah. Could you believe with the aerial shots that you saw empty seats at that game? I couldn't you believe it either, that? but that I mean that's just kind of where we are now. It is. You're you're right. Uh, Chad Morris, taken out of context, perhaps guaranteed a win against Mississippi State. If you take it in context, uh, in context, not exactly what he had to say. We'll get into that later this afternoon as well. Sports Talk Mississippi, just getting started with you. Ceasefire text line open six zero one eight seven nine four three nine five. We're back after this in the Renaissance Bank studio. Renaissance Bank, understanding you. Not that you necessarily want to relive it, but here's how it unfolded in College Station on Saturday. Kellen Mond had a one-yard touchdown run with 6.50 to go in the first quarter, capping off a five-play, 51-yard drive to put 
Texas A&M ahead seven to nothing. Followed it up about six and a half minutes later with a twelve-yard touchdown run to make it fourteen to nothing. Mississippi State got on the board on the next drive. Garrett Schrader hit Stephen Gidry on a deep post at the back of the end zone to make it fourteen to seven. But A&M immediately responded. Jamon Osmond caught a touchdown pass from Kellen Mond, made it 21-14. Sorry, made it 21-7. And then another touchdown pass to Kendrick Rogers, made it 28-7. Mississippi State got a field goal less than a minute remaining in the first half, 28-10 at the break. Aggies' first possession of the second half, four plays, 70 yards, minute 40, 35-10. Isaiah Zuber caught a touchdown pass to make it 35-17. Isaiah Spiller for A&M, touchdown run, up 42-17. Kind of academic at that point. Kylan Hill had a touchdown run early in the first uh, fourth quarter to make it 42-24. A&M added another touchdown run, up 49-24. And then a late touchdown, 49 seconds remaining. Zuber caught a pass from Garrett Schrader from 38 yards out, 40-39. to They went for two, did not convert. Final score, 49-30. to 30. Hey, Dad, I'm, I'm not sure exactly where to start or exactly how we unpack this one, but maybe we start in the first quarter. I'm not being flippant when I say that. Yet another slow start for uh, Mississippi State, despite some drills before the game down in the end zone to try and get everybody good and awake and energized and ready to go. Yeah. Yeah, the the fourth the first quarter woes have just they've just killed this team and really under Joe Moore when you look at at how his teams have started on the road uh, throughout his tenure he's one and six on the road in SEC games now as a head coach uh, the only one obviously in the Egg Bowl last year and even in that game you know his first two drives were three and out or I think they got a first down on the first drive but they still punted it away they, for whatever reason his teams cannot get going on the road they just can't they are destined to almost fall behind in every game and that's what that's been the the story of Joe Moorhead's tenure at Mississippi State that for whatever reason a coach who preaches preparation and execution and all of this on a pretty daily basis uh can can't seem to have his team prepared to get out of the gates early uh, when they when they start they start out on the road and and you know what's interesting to me about that is especially with offensive coaches, you, you script the first 10 or 15 plays of the game and you spend all week working on the early script so that you've got your absolute best ready to go right out of the gate. And even a lot of times teams will lose games, but they look really, really effective and efficient on their first or maybe even first couple of drives of the game. And then they kind of fall into whatever routine it is. That just hasn't been the case at all for Mississippi no. State under Joe Moorhead. No, I mean if he, if he is scripting plays, the, the plays he's scripting just just aren't effective. And that that you know, I don't know which of those things would be worse, Richard. I don't know if it's worse to say he's not coming up with a script or if it's worse to say his script just isn't good. Um, because like I said, you know, State's offensive woes in the first quarter, and then they compound it. You know, defensively, they let the teams get out to fast starts. You know, Auburn was up twenty-one nothing. Texas A&M was up fourteen nothing. LSU was up 9 nothing. That's what you've seen so far this year. Um, they just have not been able to get out of their own way in, in, in any on either side of the ball. And they, they compound it with, you know, they're not good in special teams. It's just a bad team. I and mean, just put it out there. This is not a good football team in any any phase of the game. 
Kylan Hill has 21 carries for 150 yards, has a touchdown on the ground, averages 7 yards a carry. Garrett Schrader ran it for 64 yards. Nick Gibson had uh, 3 carries for 25 yards. I think he had a fumble. Um, mm-hmm. Didn't he put it on the ground once in the game? He did, yes. So 239 yards rushing for Mississippi State. I guess that was maybe the bright part of the offense. Texas A&M ran it for 207 yards. Kellen Mond, though, really efficient. He was 17 of 23 through the air. Not a huge number of yards, 234, but he had three touchdowns, was not intercepted, and also ran it for 76 yards and a couple of touchdowns. Yeah, Mond looked really, really good. And knowing what I've seen from Kellen Mond, he looked a lot better than I I, I believe he actually is. So we'll attribute that to Mississippi State's defense. I can't put a whole ton on Bob Shoup in this defense. Not only is he missing, you know, his the, the guys who were suspended, but he's missing, you know, Maurice Smitherman's out for the year, uh, and then he had didn't have Cam Dancer, so both starting cornerbacks were out. You know, Willie Gay, Lee Autry, Marcus Murphy, obviously out for this one. Uh, starting two true freshmen at quarter at cornerback, it just I, I don't I, I don't know what uh what was going to happen. I don't know uh, the ex- expectation for me. I thought they were going to lose going into the game. When I find out they, that those guys are missing, I thought, well, they'll be a miracle to keep it close, and, and I was right. It really wasn't close. I mean, they lose by 19, and it's, it's not nearly as close as that score makes it sound. Garrett Schrader throwing the football, 13 of 30, intercepted once. He had three touchdown passes. One of it, one of those was early, and it was a really good throw that, that post route where, um, was it Zuber who caught the first touchdown? Yes. Zuber is that right? Both touchdowns. Or, yes, yeah. That's correct. Uh, no, no, it was Gidry on the first one. Kind of got the guy on his hip, called it the back of the okay, end zone yeah, the post. Yeah. So, so a good a throw there. Just, just threw me off. Yeah, but the game very much in question at that point. And you looked at that and you go, okay, maybe this is where things kind of get going a little bit. And Mississippi State gets into a little bit of a rhythm. But the other two, I mean, throws one down 35-10, throws one down 49-24, and Texas A&M trying to get out of there, get the win, and, and move on. Mm. How do you evaluate Garrett Schrader and what he did on Saturday? I think he's he's playing okay. You know, he's a true freshman, so you can't expect him to be a a total world beater. You know, normally when a true freshman quarterback is really really good, somebody like Trevor Lawrence, they're they're surrounded by elite talent as well, and he doesn't have that, so he's having to do some things on his own. Um, but that said, I think you see enough from him to know that the future's going to be bright with him. They've just got to they got to improve a little bit at the receiver position. But that said, I mean, I think he's sort of limited in the confines of this offense, which, as far as I can tell, doesn't really work that well in the SEC. So I don't, I don't know I don't know what Garrett Trader's ceiling really is at Mississippi State. I think he could have a high ceiling, but I don't know how high it can be with the way the offense is currently structured. Five penalties, 25 yards, really didn't play a big part in this game, did they? No, no. Penalties weren't a huge thing. Uh, th- there was there that holding call early that negated a big run and kept Mississippi State in bad field position. They had to punt it away, and then A&M, I think, went down and scored right away. So even that though was a really, really, really blatant hold. <laughs> that yeah. was not questionable. So I, I, I can't, I can't, you can't hate on the referees for that one. And you had the um, the targeting call on Brian Cole that was overturned on Morgan. At, oh, it was it was CJ Morgan. CJ Morgan, yeah. It was the right call to overturn it, right? I guess. Just looking at, it, I mean, I thought he went in with his head, but it, it, I, it, it's, yeah. I guess it's when you're a runner, it's just what are you going to do? It's not like he went after a defenseless receiver. 
He's just trying to. And make he didn't the tackle go low. There. It was a, it was kind of a weird right. looking tackle where they like came in shoulder to shoulder, and then there yeah. were the helmets hit. Yeah, that's why I thought that I thought that would was why the penalty would stand because there was some helmet to helmet contact. But as always with the officials, you know, the only thing that's sure is nothing's for sure. Look, I'm I'm just going to be really honest with you with regard mm-hmm. to targeting and the reviews of targeting. I'm kind of done trying to guess what. Oh the yeah, replay officials are going to do. Yeah, no, no, you're right. I mean, as soon as anytime I tweet, that's definitely targeting. It is definitely not targeting. The, 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 that 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 is how that goes, and vice versa. Did you hear so the rules just... expert? By the way, when, when he they brought him in to explain the situation on the targeting, what did he say? He said that he agreed with the call and he expects it to stand. And then after they reversed the call, he also agreed with the reversal. That's a little life hack. That way you can't ever be wrong. Exactly. Every so time like, you think you know the answer, like I hate Ed and Joe Burrow. I actually exactly. haven't. I thought the first year and a half that this was a thing, I, I had trouble with it too. But maybe it's just me and not watching enough outside of like Ole Miss. I haven't had that much trouble with it this year. Like the three, four that Ole Miss has had this year, I think, like it seems fairly clear cut, but I don't yeah. know. My problem I, I think, is more with the ejection. Like if if a hit like that would have stood, I would have understood it. Just like, hey, Dad, their helmets did hit, even though anatomically you can't lower your shoulder without your head coming with it. Remove all doubt and hit him lower. Don't go in so high. You, you remove the element of targeting. But if they would have kept that call and made that a penalty, him being ejected from the game it doesn't feel right when it's an innocent open field hit like that. You know what I mean? Yeah. Uh. Mike McIntyre had an interesting take on that a couple weeks ago, talking about how he wants it to be a hockey-style thing. Let's hold on to that. I wanted to go there exactly next, but but I think that's worth some conversation. Was it two weeks ago? Maybe it was post-Missouri. Yeah. Let's talk about that when we come back. It was a, uh, if you missed this a couple of weeks ago, it's what Mike McIntyre had to say about targeting and how that should be enforced. Sports Talk Mississippi with you in the Renaissance Bank studio. Renaissance Bank, understanding you. Sports Talk Mississippi with you, streaming online at supertalk.fm. All right, let's just pick up the conversation from a couple of minutes ago. Uh, We were talking about targeting and the frustration that goes with ejections related to targeting. This was the Monday press conference, I guess two weeks ago today. Mike McIntyre, after Ole Miss had two players ejected in the game uh, against Missouri for targeting, Uh, Jacquez Jones on kind of the weird play where what was it Kelly Bryant or uh, I think it was Kelly Bryant, Wh- whoever it was, slid down early, slid late and kind of awkwardly, and Jacquez Jones was in the process of kind of pulling up and trying to not really go down and make contact, but he did. It wasn't a big hit, but it was targeting, and he was ejected. And then later in the game, you had Tarikas Tisdale, who had a really dumb targeting play, and was ejected as he well should have been. Here's what Ole Miss defensive coordinator Mike McIntyre had to say, not specifically about those two plays, but in general about the rule and the way it's enforced. And I believe this with all my heart and soul, and I've been preaching it, and I'm going to keep preaching it. I'm glad you all brought it up. I think it's absolutely ridiculous that a kid will just use Jaquez and Tiz. Jaquez's hit happened early in the second half. Okay, So basically he's going to miss, I'm just going to use it, 30 minutes and 25 55 minutes. Tiz happened late in the second half. So Tiz is going to basically miss 35 minutes. It's not right. 
I've been saying it since day one. It ought to be like hockey. It's a 15-minute penalty. Take their helmet off, sit them over there. When 15 minutes is up, come back in. Everybody should have the same time difference. It makes no sense. I think, it's, I think the time difference is absolutely wrong. I like enforcing the penalty. I think the penalties are correct. I think the targeting is correct. The enforcement is wrong. You do the same crime, you should pay the same time. And uh, so I think it needs to be changed, and I think it needs to be looked at hard. And I've been preaching it for a while, and they've, they've tweaked it a little bit. Hopefully they'll tweak it further where kids don't miss. One guy misses 55 minutes, another guy misses 35. That's not right. It's not right at all. That makes a lot of sense to me. Um, you know, if you want to say it's 15 minutes of game action or 20 minutes of game action, or, or even if you think it causes you to miss an entire half if you're ejected, you could say 30 minutes of game action over the course of if it's two games, fine. If it's in that game, that's fine as well. The other thing that I think I would advocate for is kind of like what we've got in basketball where you've got a flagrant one or a flagrant two. Although you are asking a replay official to make another judgment call, could you put flagrant one, flagrant two on targeting? And if it's a flagrant one, it's it's a 15-yard penalty and either an ejection or maybe you have to sit out of the game for five minutes or something if we're continuing with the hockey theme. And if it's a flagrant two, you're out and you get the full I, – I, I don't know. I'm just kind of throwing ideas at the wall. Does any of that make sense to you guys? Makes perfect yeah. sense. Yeah. I still yeah, like I, the using basketball's flagrant one, flagrant two concept into this, but if you have to have a universal thing, then that that works as well. Both of them are okay. I think you should have to have two flags before you get ejected. Because the Jocko's Jones thing, like Tariqus Tisdale's was a dumb one. Like Definitely avoidable, but Jocko's Jones's was tough, and I feel like you have a lot of those. So whether it's a degree of difficulty, or I, I think getting ejected on the first one is extreme. But to your point, if you are going to do it ejected on the first one, what happens if you do the last play of the first half as opposed to three plays in the second half? Like, yeah, I mean you're talking about seconds difference in game time, but you know two more quarters worth of sitting out, it doesn't really make a ton of sense. So, what yeah. if we put a penalty box that was like dunk tank style? On the uh, on the sideline, I would like that, and I would like for each team to sit on the, in the same one. That way, if you get two guys in there at the same time, they have to sit next to one another. <laughs> <laughs> that would be awesome. That's not realistic, though. <laughs> I mean, no, but neither is a dunk tank penalty box. No, I don't mean like a dunk tank. One. I'm like, uh, maybe we should call it a dunce tank. Yeah, like that, there's no dunk deal, but like they they have to sit in an elevated. Four foot square box on the sideline and wear a dunce hat. Sure, and have Tony sit there in front of the door with a badge or something <laughs> in the diaper. <laughs> Maybe you have to wear the diaper while you're in the. Penalty. Oh, now we're getting somewhere. Yeah, jeez. Nakatari makes a good point though. The sitting out it can differ as like up to thirty minutes for doing the exact same thing seems very very stupid. So. Before the game, Mississippi State does the it has the look of bull in a ring. I think Joe Moorhead said they did board drills with the team all circled around them. However, you, whatever you want to call it. What was the reaction to that, Hayden? Up in the press I mean, box. I get why you up. do it. See, I don't get why you do it. I don't. And I'm I'm not one of these, you know, 
people that that's doesn't understand what football is and there's going to be hitting and I think in a practice setting especially early in the season those those drills have a lot of sense but my god man we just got a piece of paper that says both your starting cornerbacks are out and two of your offensive linemen are out and you're going to go out there and just pop pads like that before the game starts I don't think that was very smart at all what sparked this? I don't understand. I saw a tweet that someone described as an Oklahoma drill, which I only played football until like seventh grade. I knew that wasn't an Oklahoma drill. Um, right. I, I called it bull in the ring, but it's not bull in the ring either. Um, See, I think it is, though, right? Well, no, bull in the, bull ring, in the ring is when you have is, a bigger circle, you put one guy in the middle, and then you've got guys randomly from different parts of the circle you, you going call out, out a name like, and, and they, come, they go get them, yeah. Seems barbaric. But why would you do this 30 minutes before kickoff? I don't understand this. Because they have failed to start games with energy and emotion. So and shoot up some Red today. Bull. I don't understand why you got to hit each other. Uh, well, Torch that's the thing. It, and I think my opinion on it, it seems like that's something you do when you don't have any answers. When you're throwing something against the wall and hoping it sticks. That's exactly uh-huh. how I took it and my podcast partner, Joel Coleman, took it. But in Joe Moorhead's defense, if you haven't been able to come up with a fix, why not throw something against the wall to see if it sticks? Well, instead of throwing things against the wall, you're throwing guys at each other. I feel like you could accomplish this in a much safer way. What, you're going to do jumping jacks in the end zone? I don't know. I mean, that's safer the thing than... from Remember the Titans. Everywhere yeah. we go. Or odd. <laughs> Oh don't 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 sing again, Borky, please. But to Borky's point, like if you're gonna mix who something up, are, do something like that. Like don't have like you know good on good like you know hitting each other. I I, I didn't see any of this game, but I also thought I saw that's on the internet, and I thought that was an interesting. Movie. What is more wild move, this or the famed Orgeron scrimmage during the rain delay? No, well, this was controlled, and it was for a short amount of time. Yeah. Did Orgeron have referees and a scoreboard? He, he didn't even have a clock. It just went until it was time to play again. So he still probably takes the cake. Yes. And it was in the middle of a game. Oh, it's before it started, to be fair. No, it wasn't. It was during the rain delay. I thought that... No! No, I thought I thought that game never started. I thought the no, kickoff sir. was delayed. No, they started the game and then sent the teams to the locker room, and he took the team into the indoor practice facility, and they scrimmaged during the rain delay. Okay, that wins. That's That's weird. I'm sorry, hey Dad. I think I interrupted you. No, I mean I was agreeing with you though that the Orgeron thing was was far far worse. <laughs> Imagine that. So the Joe uh, Borky writes this. I'm going to read it exactly the way he writes it. The Joe Moorhead to anywhere else conversations won't go away. What happens with a win or a loss to Arkansas? I don't think he's going anywhere in terms of, of Rutgers because at Ruck, Rutgers at this point is seeing has to be seeing what's happening at Mississippi State and would have to think why would we want that guy to run the program? I I think he's going to be at Mississippi State next season regardless of how this season finishes out. What's the level of concern for the Arkansas game? High, high. I mean, you look at the way State's played on the road this year. How can anybody take them seriously? As oh, they're just going to go up there and. And dominate Arkansas. I mean, they they haven't done it under Joe Moorhead. They have not done anything on the road worth talking about. So, Arkansas has got to be in desperation mode. This they know this is their really their last chance to get an SEC win uh, this season. And and I, I don't think there's a lot of confidence among amongst the maroon and white faithful that State's just going to go up there and win this game. 
What's up with the tackling? Who is bad? It was really bad. And, and and I asked Moorhead, you know, I said, we talked so much last week about energy and effort. Did you feel like it was still the same this week? And he said he, he thought the energy and the effort was fine. But then you watch some of these plays. And granted, you've got some guys out there who don't play a whole lot, and they're just, you know, trying to I, – I, I get that. But when you see, like, Errol Thompson missing tackles, that that that's concerning. That's something that you have to worry about. So I just think – I think it's an effort thing more than anything else. And in fairness, and balancing it out just a little bit, mm-hmm. Texas A&M had a couple of great big Ole tackles on Kylan Hill as well. Yeah. There, there was yeah. one in particular, and I can't remember – exactly what point of the game was, but he would, I think it was, I don't know, it was either a touchdown run or a long run. And they made contact with him at the line of scrimmage, but a guy, linebacker, just tried to kind of shoulder-to-shoulder tackle him. That's not a good plan of attack against a guy like Kylan Hill. And he just kind of shrugged him and then went for 30 or 40 yards. And that may have gone for a touchdown. I, I don't remember, but either way. Sports Talk Mississippi, streaming online with you, supertalk.fm, on this Monday afternoon in the Renaissance Bank studio, Renaissance Bank, understanding you. Southern Miss went on the road to Houston, Texas on Saturday to face Rice and got a dub, moving to 5-3 and three on the year, 3-1 and one in Conference USA play. Rice stays winless, 0-8 and 0-4. Golden Eagles got on the board in the second quarter with an Andrew Stein field goal to go up 3-0. Kevin Perkins had a two-yard touchdown run. Late second quarter, it was a 10-0 lead at the half. Southern Miss went ahead 13-0 when Andrew Stein connected from 34 yards out with nine and a half minutes to go in the third quarter. Uh, Rice got its only touchdown of the game, 15-yard touchdown pass, uh, I guess one drive later to make it 13-6. And then with 32 seconds to play in the game, Kevin Perkins took it in from 38 yards out. Final margin, 20-6. It was not just an overwhelming performance, but Southern Miss did what they needed to do to get a win and get into the bye week to get ready for uh, UAB coming up in a couple of weeks in Hattiesburg. Kevin Perkins on the ground, 13 carries, 86 yards, two touchdowns. Jack Abraham, efficient, 23 of 36, 207 yards, did not have a touchdown. He did throw an interception in the ballgame. Tim Jones, leading receiver for Southern Miss, 10 catches for 96 yards in the game. And uh, Andrew Stein, 2 of 3, kicking field goals on the day. Leading tackler for uh, Southern Miss was um, Swayze Bozeman, had 8 tackles in the game. Southern Miss had 8 sacks and 9 tackles for loss, 1 interception, so did a nice job defensively. So they get to 5-3 and three on the year, and the Golden Eagles are, at this point, one win away from bowl eligibility with this left on their schedule. UAB coming up in a week and a half, uh, the November 9th Saturday game. They go to Texas San Antonio, they host Western Kentucky, and they go to Florida Atlantic. So UTSA, uh, UTSA on the schedule, uh, they're 3-4. and four. On the year, um, UAB, pretty good football team. That one, again, is in Hattiesburg, and that's a series that has had some weird games in it. UAB only one loss this year. It was uh, against Western Kentucky. Uh, they lost that game by a touchdown. So that's coming up in a couple of weeks. Western Kentucky still on the schedule. is 5-3 and three on the year. And then, again, they will close it out with FAU down in Boca. 
and FAU this season is five and three as well. So it's not an easy slate to uh, to finish out the year, uh, but certainly you feel like uh, you got a couple of opportunities, at least a couple of opportunities for wins uh, remaining on the schedule for uh, for Southern Miss Borky. They, they get to five and three. Uh, obviously, you knew the early part of the schedule this year for Southern Miss was difficult, uh, knowing that Mississippi State and Alabama were there in the uh, first couple of weeks of the season. Probably about where we expected the Golden Eagles to be at this point. Probably so. And I mean, this game two Saturdays from now is massive. Uh, I mean, because uh, the them and UAB both are one game back in the West behind Louisiana Tech, but Louisiana Tech still has UAB themselves. They have to play North Texas. There's a couple losable spots. And uh, when on Saturday could propel you forward into potentially winning or tying for the division. So uh, no excuse Saturday for the fans either. Place needs to be full and rocking with UAB coming to town and a chance to uh, get ahead in your division and a chance for bowl eligibility. No reason for that place not to be packed in, for lack of a pun, rocking at the Rock on Saturday, next Saturday. mentioned the defense was good. Rice had eight yards rushing on 30 carries. That's a third of a yard per carry if you're doing the math at home. Good math. So a foot. They averaged a foot foot per per carry. Wait, it's not even that much. It's a quarter of a yard per carry. Yeah, you rounded up. You were rounding up. You were being generous. It was like eight eight inches per rushing attempt for uh, for Rice in the uh, in the game on Saturday. Better than seven, I guess. Say what? Better than seven inches per rush, I guess. I suppose. Winners and Losers is coming up. We'll give you hours from the weekend, and we want yours as well. You can text them in on the C Spire text line. That number is 601-879-4395. 601-879-4395 for your winners and losers from the weekend. Got a little bit of time left in the month of October and we're celebrating National Pork Month, so you can celebrate with savory pot roast, slow-cooked pork mm. shoulder, ribs, pulled pork, whatever it is that you like. Enjoy the tastiest month ever, and uh, find inspiring recipes online at pork.org slash cooking. Also, you can catch up with statewide leaders and elected officials at this year's MEC Hobnob. That's the Mississippi Economic Council. The Gallo Show will be there on Thursday at the Mississippi Coliseum. If you would like to attend the event, you can do so at msmec.com. That's msmec.com. Winners and losers, when we come back with you on this Monday afternoon, We'll get to a little bit of a World Series recap. Boy, things look different than they did when we were sitting here on Friday afternoon, thanks to some pretty good play from the Houston Astros and Mattress Mac all of a sudden feeling really good about himself at the sports books. He's got in the neighborhood of $11 million wagered on Houston winning the World Series with a payout of almost $19 million hanging in the balance, and he is one win away from collecting on all of that Money. Sports Talk Mississippi with you in the Renaissance Bank studio. Renaissance Bank, understanding you. Sports Talk Mississippi with you, brought to you every day by Mississippi Land Bank. Online, mslandbank.com, Mississippi Land Bank, where they uh, know the lay of the land. You have today and tomorrow left for your chance to enter your child for a chance to win the hunt of a lifetime, go to the website, mslandbank.com. Click on the link for hunt of a lifetime. 
Enter your contact information and your child's name, and you've got a chance to win for them. A Mississippi Lifetime Sportsman's License, which means they'll never have to buy a hunting license in the state of Mississippi again. And also a, uh, a duck hunt in the Delta, in Tunica, or a quail hunt in uh, West Point, or a prize package that's got all kinds of hunting gear and uh, a lot of really cool stuff in it. Go to MSLandBank.com, Mississippi Land Bank, where they know the lay of the land for your chance to win for your child the hunt of a lifetime. It's Monday, so it's me. Uh, that means it's time for winners and losers. All I do is win, 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 no matter what. I'm a loser, baby. We got winners. We got losers. Americans love a winner and will not tolerate a loser. Send us your winners and losers, the C Spire text line, 601-879-4395. We will get to those coming up in just a few minutes. We'll start with hours from the weekend. Let's go to Japan, where Tiger Woods notched career victory number 82 and tied Sam Snead for the most career victories ever. Woods has now won PGA Tour events in seven countries, the United States, Canada, Scotland, England, Ireland, Spain, and Japan. He's also got wins in the United Arab Emirates, Australia, Germany, and Thailand, but his actual PGA Tour victories uh, in seven different countries. The victory came in Tiger's first start of this season on the PGA Tour and the first ever PGA event to be contested in Japan. And despite the physical woes that he had this past summer, he's now got three PGA Tour victories in his past 14 starts. Same number as Rory McIlroy. The victory moves him to number six in the world. He shot a final round 67 to complete the tournament at 261. That's 19 under par. Finished in front of Hideki Matsuyama, three shots back. Rory McIlroy and Sungjae Im tied for third. Tiger, still a winner. Rippy, you got a winner? Hey, Dad, you got a winner? The New Orleans Saints. They just continue to win. Doesn't matter what the situation is. And Drew Brees comes back. Everybody wants to wring their hands. Oh, he's coming back too soon. Up nope. 370 plus yards, three touchdowns. Saints handle the Cardinals, who've been playing pretty well. Uh, defensively, the Saints are as good as anybody uh, in the league. Offensively, sort of the same thing. I still hold them. I believe that's the best team in, in the NFL. I'll go across and counter argue that because I think you can make an argument for the Saints. You make an argument for the Pats, but I think the Tevin Coleman, I was going to have the, the winner because I think he had three touchdowns and a half, but the 49ers, good Lord. Yeah, they look find good. A, find a weakness on that roster. I, you can hear it make an argument for all three. I'll hear all three of those. I don't think there's really another team that you can make an argument for outside of the Saints. Packers, maybe? Maybe. But, I don't know. I mean, they struggled to beat Matt Moore last night. Granted, it was on the road, but they're still pretty good. But I think those three teams are clear-cut and above everybody. Tevin Coleman, and then I was also going to go Jeremy Pruitt. Yeah, no doubt. I mean, you talk, you joke about the getting better every week. I think Tennessee has turned that into like a real thing, whereas Arkansas like set just repeatedly set the bar so low if they would like go marginally up, then people would start saying that it became a narrative. But they're pretty good. They're going to kick themselves for not making a bowl game if they don't make one, though. 
BYU, Georgia yeah. State. Yeah. Those are the ones they'll look back at. Borky, this is a segment that we do that's called Winners and Losers. We think about the <laughs> things that we liked or didn't like from the weekend. I know you've been out about six months now, uh, so if you've forgotten about it, that, that's what we do. Is there anything that stood out to you as uh, thumbs-up worthy from the weekend? By the way, the 49ers will be in New Orleans next month. Uh, so talk about an awesome game that we've got coming here soon. But uh, Chase Young. If the Heisman Trophy actually went to college football's best player, find me a reason why it wouldn't be him. He was doubled all afternoon against Wisconsin and still had five tackles for loss. Four of those were sacks. He is unbelievable as a pass rusher, but he's multiple as well. He's good in uh, run blocking, as, or run blocking, run defense as well. And that's a really good Wisconsin offensive line. I know they lost to Illinois last week, whatever. Chase Young was dominant against a team that traditionally is excellent up front. He might be the best player in college football, and he showed you, at least made himself a lot of money on Saturday. Who's the last guy to actually be in consideration for that? Like, I, I was thinking, like, Sue. Charles Woodson. Dominican Sue. Yeah. I was thinking Sue was yeah. probably the most recent. He got, he got the invite. Wasn't Tyron Matthew also way up there? Yeah, that's a good one, too. I forgot about him. Yeah. He was really Honey good. Badger. Um, did anybody know Chase Young's name before Saturday? I did. I did because I followed I the did. NFL draft stuff, yeah. So you did not? No, I did. Yeah. yeah. It just feels like he's gone from, oh, yeah, that's a really good defensive player, to, my goodness, this guy could win the Heisman Trophy. He and yeah. Nick Bosa were briefly on the same field at the same time? He was a pretty, third stringer on that defense at one point. Good <laughs> pretty good. Uh, I mean... Pretty good combo. He He's only played in about one half of most of their games, has 13 and a half sacks and five forced fumbles. Pretty good numbers on the defensive side of the ball. Uh, what about losers for the weekend? Let's start us off here. How about the uh, field goal kicker for Tulsa? Missed a 29-yard field goal that would have beaten Memphis as time expired on Saturday night. Hashtag college kickers. As a result, Memphis holds on. They get the win, and now Memphis, for the first time in school history, is hosting college game day on Beale Street on Saturday morning as they get set to host 8-0 and SMU. That's pretty cool. Washington Nationals? I mean, in the biggest game in your franchise's history, your ace's back happens to lock up? I wrote that down as well. That's brutal. I put Nats fans. Really no fault of anyone at all, other than, I guess, Scherzer being old. But, like, that's rough. People will be thinking about that what if for half a de- I mean, half a century if they don't win the series, which I don't think they will now. I think it's probably over now. What's the chance that he comes back and pitches tomorrow night or if there is a Game 7 in Game 7? I'm a doctor, but I don't specialize in backs, so I don't know. Okay. Um, Borky, you got a loser from the weekend? Yeah, I've got a bunch of them. I'll start with... <laughs> With the World Series, record low ratings. And not like record low in the last five years, like record low all-time ratings. Which doesn't make sense to me because you've got stories, you've got big markets, and just they're not getting people to watch. You may have stories in big markets, but you don't have big-name teams. It's also, I would consider the Astros a big-name team, but it's also you're through four games or five games and... Three of those, think it Thursday, Saturday, Sunday, have been directly lined up with football. And like, no matter who you are, you're not beating football, ever. It's just not right. happening. It, 
and the, there's not really a better way to do it, so I'm not like chastising anyone. But like, there's a reason that the game sixes and the game sevens always, almost always fall on Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday. Like they stagger it like that. So through this point, I imagine that's partially why. But yeah, you're you're not competing with football. But it's the Nationals and the Astros. Houston's the third biggest city in the country. I second biggest. I'm, no, third, third. I understand. But it's quite sprawling. It's the Astros and the Nationals. It's not the Cubs or the Red Sox or the Yankees or the Dodgers or a traditional baseball power, even the Braves, with a massive fan interest outside of their own markets. Hard to be a power when you haven't won a World Series in 30 years, but you say what you want about the Dodgers. <laughs> They're a massive, recognizable brand, period. I'll, I'll, go, I'll give you that. You would have bigger numbers for Dodgers in a World Series, and you did, than Giants in the World Series. Sorry. Didn't win them, though. Anyway. I understand. I got my loser ready if we're ready. Be our guest. Will Muschamp. Why do I Why do, yeah. I do this to myself? I keep buying back in. Like, oh, yeah, maybe he's... No, he's not. I'm done with Will Muschamp. Uh, they got brutalized up there at Tennessee on a third-string quarterback nobody's ever heard of. And now they've got five losses. Here's their next four. Vandy, App State, Texas A&M, Clemson. Good luck. They can beat Vandy. They can beat Vandy. I'm not going to sit here and tell you they can beat App State. No. <laughs> and then at A&M either. and then Clemson. I mean, I don't, I, don't, I don't think they're going to a bowl game. Aren't they sitting at three and five right now? Is that right? Yeah. Their yeah, wins they this got... year... Charleston Southern, Kentucky, and Georgia. One of those is not like the others. Right. Indeed. Forky, you said you had a list of losers. We'll get to more of those when we come back. We'll also get to your winners and losers from the weekend. Again, you can send them to us on the C Spire text line, 601-879-4395. C Spire. Customer inspired. We're back after this in the Renaissance Bank studio. Renaissance Bank, understanding you. All right, we have got a bunch of reactions from you on the ceasefire text line this week for winners and losers. But uh, Borky told us he had a laundry list of losers. What you got, Bork? Making up for a week off. Yeah, and I'm about to jinx my Pelicans tonight, but the Golden State Warriors, when that dynasty ended, it crashed and burned like the Hindenburg, man. They have, it's only two games, but they have yet to have a lead at all in two games. Like, not even two to nothing to start a game. They have not held a lead in their first two games of the season. Okay. Clay Thompson being out doesn't help. It doesn't help, but when it's over, man, it's... it's uh. Really, really over. And now that I said that, they're going to score like 155 points tonight in New Orleans and uh, win by 40. But uh, right now, they are losers. How about Matt Nagy as well? Ugh. They have 43 seconds left and the ball. And instead of running the football a little bit more, centering their field position for their kicker, who already missed a 33-yard field goal, they decide to take a knee instead. And after the game, he says that it was because they were afraid of fumbling or losing yards. But the thing is, taking a knee is guaranteeing you losing yards. And your kicker already missed a 33-yard field goal. 
One of the most mind-blowing coaching decisions I've ever seen when you have a kicker that's shaky. It's windy Chicago. You have 43 seconds, the ball, and a timeout. And instead of at least getting yourself in the center of the field, you take an E and kick and miss the potential game-winning field goal and lose. Not beautiful. No, that's brutal. And then finally, Texas Tech. It's a tie right, game. Hold on to that one. Hold okay. on to that one. Hold on to that one. If you want to add on to the Bears one, Mitch Trubisky, it's probably over. Probably. Yeah, he's awful. He's not good. Who who did the who got taken after him as a quarterback in that draft? Catch up Mahomes. And Deshaun, Deshaun Watson, Watson right? also. Yeah, that's yeah. that's yeah. tough. Uh let's race through some of these. Winners, Jose Urquide. Is that how you say his name? The game four starter for the Nationals. I'm sorry for the Astros. It was a bullpen day. You asked me for pronunciation? Yes. Okay. Yeah, that sounds right. Okay, good. Uh, loser, Nationals offense, horrible with runners in scoring position. Winner, Mississippi State offense. Loser, Mississippi State defense. Really? Loser. Offense? Okay. Well, I mean, they scored some points. They scored 30. Ooh. Yeah. There's a term called garbage time. Look into it. Uh, loser, Monday Night Football tonight. Dolphins at Steelers. Ugh. Also a loser. Gross. DK Metcalf's three-cone drill. A lot of wide receivers taken before DK Metcalf that have not had the production that DK Metcalf has had this season. Just Tom Luganville, of all people, squatted on that, that he wasn't going to be any good. That's a tough one. Greg and Nettleton. Off the sports grid a little bit, but winners in my book, Tom Bigby Electric Power Guys. They work their tails off Saturday afternoon to clear fallen trees and restore power in northeast Mississippi. I witnessed it firsthand. Go, Tom Bigby, go. That's thanks from Greg in Nettleton. Winner Garrett Cole, he was locked in behind home plate. <laughs> Eyes didn't move off the catcher's mitt. <laughs> I don't know Ta-ta. if the, the catcher's mitt he was looking at. <laughs> Jason with uh, some winners. He says, Michael Borky, not just for becoming a parent, but actually trying to be a good one by trying to get informed. (coughs) Dan Mullen, whether it's this year or not, you can see he's been at Florida for two years, both years. He's been right there in the SEC East title game picture going into the Georgia game. Florida won four games the year before Mullen. Loser, Michael Borky for using Google to ask for other parents' advice. Come on, man. (laughs) I swear, I'm just a text away, Michael. Jeez. He also says Joe Moorhead again, and the further we get away from what could have been with KT, the learning lessons from last year's offensive struggles, the more of a loser he becomes, in my opinion. What could have been with Jason Thompson? Oh, my God. Um, Girls that flashed Garrett Cole last night are winners. If you don't know what we're talking about, just Google it. See, Google does serve a purpose. Winners. Astros, Southern Miss, Kansas State, after the upset of Oklahoma. How did that get buried so far? I saw that score and not a ton about it. Like after that, like whether it's sports center and everything else, seems fairly significant. Jalen Hurts regressing to looking like Jalen Hurts. Mm. Losers, Mississippi State, the Nats, and Ole Miss didn't play this weekend. Do. Yeah. Uh, let's see here. Yeah, I got a winner. Here it is. I want to go. 
Ethan in Guntown, Texas Tech has to be a loser. Borky, carry on. Tie football game. Kansas is lined up with, uh, what was it, 10 seconds left in the game for a game-winning field goal. Texas Tech blocks that kick, and the guy that recovers the block kick for Texas Tech is about to get tackled and for some reason decides to try to pitch it to one of his teammates. The ball never gets to him. Kansas recovers, lines up with two seconds left, kicks that game-winning field goal, and makes it. You know, there's so much that went wrong there. First of all, all he's got to do is fall on the ball and it's game over. Second of all, if he just runs around a little bit longer, or even if he gets tackled, there's a chance those two seconds run off the clock. Probably not. But when he flips it, oh my goodness. That's how that happened? Yeah. That's how that happened. Block field goal, defensive player scoops it up, runs around for a few seconds, looks for a teammate to toss it to. You have the lead! And the ball! Might be the most last miles win ever. Isn't that the truth? I got two winners. Uh, uh, Okay. All right. One, I want to congratulate uh, LSU for getting the uh, the commitment of the 2020 uh, four-star wide receiver, the coldest Crawford, the greatest name in the college football coming soon. His middle name, Juan. He's the coldest Juan. Love that. But uh, on a more serious note, I'm going to go across the pond. To talk about Captain America, Christian Pulisic, three goals this weekend, a hat trick for Chelsea in their 4-2 win over Burnley. Great news for America and soccer fans. And the Premier League was doing a fan fest in Austin, Texas this week, and America's greatest hero uh, has that kind of day. So good news for them. The next generation of soccer talent's coming. Any day now, it's going to start taking off. But I was uh, here's here's a loser from uh, Union. He says USM versus Rice better. Southern Miss was a ten point favorite. They're up thirteen to six with around thirty seconds remaining. They break a big run, thirty eight yarder, turns it into a touchdown to go up twenty to six, meaning they covered the spread. Such a bad beat, unless you were on the other side, in which it was a great cover. Loser. This from Kevin. All the idiots at the World Series that booed the president last night and chanted, lock him up, lock him up, lock him up. Pretty significant trolling, by the way. If you think about the locker-up cheers from oh, yeah. his rallies a few years ago. Uh, Ken and Long Beach, losers. Big 12. Those playoff chances looking awfully slim right now. They're uh, all in winner. on Baylor. You got undefeated Baylor out there. Right. You do. Although Baylor's look pretty good. Uh, winner, LSU, LSU, LSU. Loser, Oklahoma defense. Uh, loser, LeBron's made-in-China hairpiece. <laughs> Did you see that? Rough. Rough. Just, just just, go clean, LeBron. Just just shave it off. It'll be all right. Or get, like, real hair plugs. You're worth, uh, what, three, four, five hundred million probably selling him short? Maybe that was part of the deal with China, is he would get their hair plugs. I was about to say, at this rate, he should probably come out and take a stance that they were, in fact, not made in China. <laughs> Hashtag uh, let's see here. I'm looking to see if there's anything. Winner Shea Patterson? I mean, his team won. He didn't really do a whole lot. Um, Bill and Brandon sends us a picture of Gojo Hand Cleaner. He says it's the hottest product in Starkville. <laughs> Eh. 
You didn't chuckle? It's it's funny. Uh, here we go. Winner, opposite side of the aisle. The fans that chanted, lock him up. It's from uh, MP in Starkville. He did, uh, for what it's worth, if you have Twitter, look at uh, Donald Trump's last MP tweet. In Oxford. Don't, don't, don't be putting Starkville in your... You just, you just did that on purpose, Richard. I know you. I said MP in Oxford. No, you said Starkville. I don't think I did. I think Play I just got through saying something about Starkville. Anyway, so uh, they killed the ISIS leader this weekend. Yeah. and al The dog that was involved in the raid, you, you can actually see a picture of him online. Handsome, good-looking dog that helped us take down uh, the most dangerous terrorist in the world. So check that out. It's really cool. Not to make this political, and I really don't think I am. Sorry if I said Starkville, it was Oxford. Whatever. My bad. Um... There are some actual pretty interesting stories that go along with this. Like the the fact that there was a Kurdish guy that was inside that was actually where the raid happened and was providing unbelievable intelligence. Like layout of everything. I won't make it any more political than that. Final one, winner, Memphis getting game day this weekend. Sports Talk Mississippi in the Renaissance Bank studio. He can't even beat Back with you, Sports Talk Mississippi, streaming online at supertalk.fm. Richard Cross, Michael Borky is back on this Monday after a little bit of time off to celebrate the birth of his first son, James Richard Borky II, who is healthy and whatnot. Glad to have Borky back. Also, Brian Haydad and Brian Scott Rippey. Although Haydad has slipped out for the remainder of the show this afternoon. Rippy, you mentioned this just a second ago, and um, Michael said, here you go. Biggest upset of the weekend was Kansas State beating Oklahoma, which really has the potential to shake up the college football playoff. And to your point, maybe flew a little under the radar this weekend. That's a really big deal, though. Right? Seems significant. They got beat by a lot. I know it got closer at the end, but that was like a 24-point game with 9-10 minutes left. Do what now? It was 48-24 in the fourth quarter. Yes. And then a couple of late touchdowns to make it close. And then they... I mean, it got really scary at the end for Kansas State when Oklahoma recovered the onside kick. Kansas State's just... I mean, look, Oklahoma's better than Kansas State by pretty much any measurable statistic or any metric you want to use. But they weren't better on Saturday, and Kansas State made plays. Their quarterback was good in the game. That's what happens when... I think this is an example of a larger conversation. Well, two larger conversations. You, I guess they have to be separated. One, Lincoln Riley's good for one of these every year, isn't he? Where his defense either doesn't exist or doesn't show up, but they have a propensity to give up a lot of points under him. Now, I wonder if that's a product of his offense or, or maybe he just hasn't made the right hire as defensive coordinator, but I find that interesting that he's such a brilliant play caller, but yet... That Kansas State offense, while better under a, a really good football coach, should not be scoring 48 points on a team as talented as Oklahoma. 
And on the flip side, Kansas State showed you exactly why winning a press conference and a coaching search is a stupid thing and just go find somebody who wins football games as a head coach. People were not happy about that hire. Or at least it wasn't splashy. You know, he's a guy that, he's coaching at North Dakota State. You know, that's not Division One. It's different at this level. But he won. And won big for years. They hire him, and look at what they're doing in year one. They're one win away from a bowl game. They're beating Oklahoma at home. They already have a win at an SEC West team as well. In year one under this new football coach. It's not difficult to make hires. Instead, Arkansas is hiring Hugh Freeze's cousin, Chad Morris. And Tennessee, even though they look better, is hiring Nick Saban's disappointing son. Instead of just finding a a football coach that is winning games, they go make cute hires. And, And this happens all the time. Like the fact that Bill Clark is one state over from us and in the middle of SEC country winning games every year despite having the plug pulled on his program and not getting one of those offers. Instead, they're trying to find a guy that will win the press conference. It just goes to show that people overthink coaching decisions. Go find somebody that wins football games. doesn't matter the level. They'll come to your place, and they'll probably win football games there too. And, and in fairness, with Bill Clark, I don't. You, you don't have the same track record that Cleman had at no, North Dakota you State. Don't. I mean, that guy won what six national championships. I mean, you're talking about winning and winning and winning and winning and winning. And yeah, a guy it was what, who four was, as a head coach and two more as a coordinator, something like that. I, I, I think that's right. I mean, the, not not only does he win, but he's confident in the system that he's got in place. Now that that is not at all. I I think Bill Clark is eventually going to be a head coach in the SEC. And I think whoever gets him is going to be glad they did. In the same way that I think ultimately West Virginia is going to be glad they got Neil Brown. He's a good football coach. Yep. Who, who was at Troy prior to getting the job at West Virginia. I mean, when he was at Troy and they beat LSU in Baton Rouge, it wasn't a fluke. That wasn't like a fluky win. They had a really good game plan going into that game and they executed it. Yeah. And his the cards were stacked really against him in year one at West Virginia. I mean that that's why Dana got out because everybody got out. That was a complete yeah. and total rebuild. Yeah, I mean I, I think you could argue Neil Brown's done a better job than maybe anybody actually expected him to do in his first year. Mm-hmm. But final thought on the Kansas State game: Skylar Thompson was eighteen of twenty eight throwing the football for two hundred thirteen yards. Kansas State ran it for two hundred thirteen yards in the game. Skylar Thompson had four rushing touchdowns, so six rushing touchdowns in the game for Kansas State against Oklahoma. And Jalen Hurts was, I mean, his numbers were good. 19 of 26 for 395 yards and a touchdown. He carried it 19 times for 96 yards and three touchdowns. I just don't think you're laying this one at the feet of Jalen Hurts. It's that Oklahoma defense that had no answer for Kansas State's offense when it was all said and done. And then the receivers had some bobbles in that game. I will say one thing, one more thing about that game. Coolest looking play call I've seen, play design that I've seen, goes to Lincoln Riley. It was a modified flea flicker. So take the snap out of the shotgun, backwards pass to the wide receiver coming out to the left when you got two receivers to the left side. Slot man has to make the block so that after catching the football, the outside receiver can come back toward the line of scrimmage where he then flips it to Jalen Hurts, who's playing quarterback. He takes a step back and throws it down the field 
for a huge pass play. That's the coolest design I've ever seen on a, a flea flicker. I, I call it a modified flea flicker. Did you see that, Morky? Yeah, I did. And there were some people that were, I don't know if you call it speculation, but uh, Cliff Kingsbury did something like that early in the Saints-Cardinals game yesterday, and people thought he probably watched Oklahoma or saw a highlight on Twitter or something and thought, you know what, forget it. I'm going to do that too. We can do that. Hmm. What about Auburn and LSU? That game was not as entertaining as I wanted it to be. Auburn's defense is real, man. Yeah. They are real. And they were good on Saturday against the SEC's best offense. LSU wins that game 23-20. to They were averaging 50.5 points per game going in. They scored 23. And if you look at the um like the drive summaries for LSU in the game, listen to this. It's LSU drive summary. Uh punt, punt, touchdown, turnover on downs, fumble, field goal, halftime. Punt, turnover on downs, interception, touchdown, touchdown. Punt, 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 kneel it to run the clock out. That's not what LSU drive summaries have looked like this season at all. But Auburn's defense, which is what Ole Miss is about to face on Saturday night on the road at Jordan-Hare, is really good. And Auburn's defense was on the field for 88 snaps in that game. Ole Miss being one-dimensional is not going to end well. It was never going to end well unless they were playing the two worst teams in the SEC. But does this game – maybe I'm crazy. Or do you think I'm crazy to say that I am more confident in LSU's ability to compete in two weeks when they play Alabama and then on a national scale because they won a game like this? Because all season long they've just been outscoring people. Yeah, they went to Austin and scored, what was it, 48 points, 42 points. They've been just scoring on everybody. Scored 42 against Florida. But Saturday, they had to win ugly. Their offense didn't really have it early. Burrow made an uncharacteristic mistake for him. And they had to win by defense and kind of win ugly. And sometimes you're going to have to do that. Not every championship team looks their best every Saturday, but they struggled offensively early and won by partially thanks to Bo Nix not being a good passer, but they won ugly, which is something they hadn't had to do yet so far this year well, against a good Auburn defense. Okay, so so to your point, best LSU's defense is played. Now, say what you will about Bo Nix and Auburn's offense in the game. Here's what LSU's defense forced in the game. Punt, 14-play drive that resulted in a field goal. Punt, 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 touchdown. On a short field, seven plays, 22 yards. Interception. And then you go to the second half. Gave up a field goal, five plays, 73 yards. Three and out punt, three and out punt, three and out punt, three and out punt, four plays and a punt, eight plays and a punt. And then they give up a touchdown on the final drive of the game, four plays, 49 yards. Didn't matter. At that point, it didn't matter. They're just trying to get to the the house of the win. 
LSU's defense was absolutely the best that it's been all season long on Saturday against Auburn. Sports Talk Mississippi with you in the Renaissance Bank studio, streaming online at supertalk.fm. We'll wrap up the 4 o'clock hour next when we come back. Monday Night Football coming up tonight from Pittsburgh. Boy, this is one that, I mean, you want to talk about must-see TV. Ooh. Or not. The 0-6 Dolphins are at the 2-4 Pittsburgh Steelers. Pittsburgh is a 14-point favorite tonight at Heinz Field. Kickoff at 7.15 on ESPN. It's time for the Pearl River Resort Pick of the Day, brought to you by the Sportsbook at Timeout Lounge. No, it was a cool weekend there. We were there on Thursday. We'll be back in the month of November once again at the Sportsbook at Timeout Lounge. Pick of the Day. So do we go with Monday Night Football and play a big number and just assume that Pittsburgh is going to trounce what has been a hapless Miami Dolphins team that seems hell-bent on losing every time they step on the field, or do we go to one of these NBA games? Borky, there are a couple of really big lines tonight in the NBA, and I don't – this is just a like no data whatsoever to back it up. I just don't feel like you see that many games in the NBA where you get a 20-point winner. Milwaukee is a 15-and-a-half-point favorite at home against the Cavaliers. Um, The Clippers are 15-and-a-half-point favorites at home against the Hornets. Clippers won their first two games of the season impressively, lost a game, playing game number four, off to a two-and-one start. Your your New Orleans Pelicans, who are 0-3 on the year, are four-and-a-half-point favorites against the... Golden State Warriors also winless on the season. Yeah, they just have to figure out how to win. I mean, they went to overtime in the season opener in Toronto. Then they turn around and hosted Dallas, where they had a lead late and just could not close the game. Then they went to Houston and had a shot to tie it at the buzzer. Another game where they had a lead in the fourth and just couldn't close it. So young teams got to figure out how to win. But they should be much better than Golden State. I just. I don't know. These big lines are crazy, too. Like, Oklahoma City just beat the absolute breaks off of Golden State last night, and they go to Houston as nine-and-a-half-point dogs. And I mean, the, the chemistry with Harden and Westbrook just seems so off. They're both ball-dominant guys, and they're putting Westbrook in the corner and just asking him to be a jump shooter, which is not something that he is. It's a weird combination there. I don't know if it'll ever work, but I, I would never bet NBA games. It's just too... Up and down. I think the most fun game on the schedule tonight in the NBA is 76ers at Hawks. Yeah, Trey Young is something. Philly's a five point favorite in that game. If you said you got to watch one game tonight in the NBA, that's probably the game I would watch. Trailblazers are at the Spurs tonight. You're, are you all in early on this NBA season, Rip? I've watched a bunch of games, but yeah, I agree on the Houston thing. It'll be weird. I think they could potentially tear up the regular season. Like I think they're built pretty well for the regular season for Harden and Westbrook just to put up stupid numbers, even if it's not even on the same night. But yeah, I would probably watch Hawks Philly because Philly, like Philly, makes everyone look so small. They're the biggest NBA team I've ever seen in my life. They're big. Uh I'm going to just not outthink the room. I'm going to go with Pittsburgh over the atrocious Miami Dolphins 
and lay the 14 points. Speaking and of that, the Dolphins, you see who they activated today? I did. Effective for tonight? Is that right? Robert Kimdichi has been activated for the Miami Dolphins? Does that mean he can play tonight? If they bring him up to the, what is it, the 46 that they actually play? So they have 53-man rosters, but they they can't dress 53, so he's been taken off the pup list. So presumably he'd be available if they want him to be. That's what they've been missing, glue guy. <laughs> you think I'm crazy for laying the 14 with a team that's 2-4 and four against the Dolphins? No, especially since they just got rid of Kenyon Drake as well. Hmm. I mean, just full, I mean, complete full-on tank mode. It is bizarre to me, though. Because, it, like, with a guy like Laramie Tunsil and, and Kenyon Drake, proven, effective, good, Tunsil, borderline elite, probably already in the elite category, NFL players, you trade for draft picks. When first-rounders are 50-50, they may hit, they may not. So why are you giving up dra- a guy like Tunsil, who you know is a hit, a massive hit for a draft pick that you're not sure about. I just don't get it. Dolphins are averaging 10.5 points per game while giving up just better than 35 per game. And Pittsburgh's not exactly lighting it up. They're averaging 20.5, giving up 22 a game. But goodness gracious. If you want Miami on the money line, you can get them plus 575 tonight. Good grief. It's a Big number. It's a large number. In the National Football League. Just drop 20 bucks and see what happens. Yeah. Feels like the smarter money probably is laying the 14 and taking the Steelers to win on Monday Night Football. That's your Pearl River Resort pick of the day. College Football Fix coming your way next in the Renaissance Bank studio. Renaissance Bank, understanding you. Five o'clock hour with you on this Monday. Sports Talk Mississippi streaming online at supertalk.fm. Richard Cross, Michael Borky, Brian Scott, Rippy. Hey, that slipped out for the afternoon. Sports Talk brought to you every day by Mississippi Land Bank. Online at mslandbank.com. Mississippi Land Bank, where they know the lay of the land. If you've got land financing or refinancing needs, then Mississippi Land Bank can help. They've been... Financing and refinancing land for over 100 years. 100 years? 100 years doing anything is impressive. 100 years of doing things as well as they do at Mississippi Land Bank, that's really impressive. If you are a farmer in North Mississippi and you've got land financing needs, needing to buy a piece of property, uh, get some new equipment, maybe it's uh, time to refinance an existing loan, or if you're just looking to build a dream house in the country or buy a piece of recreational property, then check them out online, stop by a branch location near you in North Mississippi, or give them a call. Mississippi Land Bank, where they know the lay of the land. Time right now for the College Football Fix. College Football Fix is driven by Ford and your local Mississippi Ford dealers. Log on to buyfordnow.com and find out why the best-selling trucks are built Ford Tough. Of course, you got the F-150, the best-selling truck in America for the last 42 years. But not just that. Seen the new Ford Rangers? They've been out a little bit over a year now. Fantastic-looking pickup truck. Saw one in the parking lot earlier today. Thought, man, that's a good-looking truck. Ford, by FordNow.com. Visit your local Mississippi Ford dealers. All right. 
let's bounce around the SEC and look at what happened this weekend. Alabama, at home, was a 32 or 32.5 point favorite over the Arkansas Razorbacks. Alabama, 18 minutes into the game, led 31 to nothing. Mac Jones, pretty good. Now, in fairness, it was Arkansas, and certainly you take that into account, but it would have been really easy for Alabama to go into this with a game plan where all they were going to do was just run it, run it, run it, run it, and just let Mac Jones manage the game, and his numbers tell a little bit different story. 18-22, 235 yards, three touchdowns. He found Jerry Judy seven times for a buck three and two TDs. I mean, pretty smart. Give the ball to your best playmakers. Alabama only ran it for 179 against Arkansas in the ballgame. Uh, once again, Arkansas uses a couple of quarterbacks. Nick Starkle goes 5 of 19 for 58 yards with no touchdowns and three interceptions. And then give way to um, to John Stephen Jones. Is that right? I was going to say John Paul Jones. I know that's not right. Jerry Jones' grandson. He goes 6 of 7 for 49 yards and a touchdown late in the ballgame. Who could also be the bassist from Led Zeppelin if you want him to be? I guess so. (sighs) Arkansas was never winning that game. And it was never really going to be all that close. But, with that said, do you take anything from getting just absolutely thumped in the last two weeks and fast-forward to this weekend against Mississippi State. The bottom line is Mississippi State is better than Arkansas, period. They just are. Yes. Can Arkansas do anything? Is this like a last stand for Chad Morris, rally the troops, get them ready? We heard Haydad say earlier, not going to assume anything when it comes to Mississippi State, especially going on the road in the SEC. Isn't it an 11 a.m. game as well? It is at 3, I believe. Okay. Either way, going to be just a sleepy, like, family and friends and girlfriends type atmosphere in Fayetteville, too, which... If you're a team that struggles to get off to good starts and play with energy early in football games, which has been kind of their identity for the last season and a half, um, that that doesn't help either. But uh, wouldn't Arkansas have this game, if Chad Moore still has his football team in any way, the same way Mississippi State fans, people, whatever, look at this game as, well, at least they can beat Arkansas. Going to A&M, College Station's tough. Jimbo Fisher, good coach. There's some talent. But Arkansas is a game that they should win. Arkansas is doing the exact same thing. Man, we just went to Alabama. Like We're, we're not beating Alabama. Now we have Mississippi Auburn State. at home two weeks ago. Weren't beating Auburn. But now we got Mississippi State at home. Have you seen their last four games? That's not a good football team either. Playing a freshman quarterback. We can win this game too. Wonder if that brings his team back together for at least one more effort of, hey, this is a football game we actually can win on our schedule because the last couple of weeks, uh, there's no way from the snap that they were going to. I, I agree with you. 
I, I, to me, that's what Chad Morris has got to sell. And I know coaches say, oh, no, we respect our opponent. We're not going to – yeah, whatever. That's fine. You better convince your guys that they can win this game and see what kind of an effort you can get from them in the game. He from a talent did that standpoint, today, it's not he? even close. Do what? He kind of did that today, didn't he? Oh, with the whole we're going to play whoever we need to play and we're, we're going to win this game. Win. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, if if you really want to look at that as Chad Morris going out and telling everybody, you know, predicting a win or whatever, be my guess. Yeah, it, that I wasn't. Don't a, think that's what it was at all. That wasn't Joe Namath guaranteed. No, and people are going to try to make it that to spice up, find any kind of angle that's interesting for this game. But that's not what he was doing. But still, I mean, he didn't say that last week or the week before. He no. knows he can win this game. South Carolina went to Knoxville. They thought they could win on Saturday. Turned out Tennessee had other plans. Back and forth early. Uh, South Carolina actually led 21-17 at the half, but the second half was all Tennessee. 14 third-quarter points, 10 fourth-quarter points, and the Vols went 41-21 over South Carolina. Rippy, you made the point earlier that we joked for two years now about Arkansas getting better each week, and it's not even a funny joke anymore, but... Tennessee actually does look like they are getting a little bit better. You look at the roadmap to where they are right now. Tennessee loses the season opener to Georgia State, 38-30. And it really wasn't that close. They lose to BYU in overtime, so they're in the hole 0-2. They beat Chattanooga and then lose and look like they don't even show up against Florida, so they're 1-3. And then they show a pulse, but it's really not all that close against Georgia, so they're 1-4. And people were ready to get rid of Jeremy Pruitt. Beat Mississippi State. They hang in there with Alabama and lose that game 35-13 and just had a 20-point win against Will Muschamp's South Carolina team to get to 3-5 and five on the year. And then the remaining schedule, UAB, Kentucky, Missouri, and Vanderbilt. UAB's a pretty good Conference USA team. But it's a Conference USA team. Tennessee's supposed to win that game. Kentucky can't throw the football, even though it's on the road. Missouri's got all kinds of problems all of a sudden. And then Vandy's terrible. It would not be the craziest thing ever if Tennessee reeled off five in a row to finish this season starting this past week with the win against South Carolina. Not at all. I don't really think they're going to win all four of those games. They got a shot, though. They got a shot in all four of them. Juwan Jennings is special, which is partly why we looked at Tennessee going into the year and thought, eh, this offense can be pretty good. He had seven catches for 174 yards and two touchdowns and carried it another five times in the game. Good player. They've obviously still got quarterback issues. J.T. Shrout started the game, went 7 of 11, had a touchdown, 122 yards. Then Garantano comes back in. He goes 11 of 19 for 229 and two touchdowns in the game. So Tennessee's got a pulse. And I, I got an email or a text or a Twitter message or something from someone asking if we wanted to go back and apologize for what we said about Jeremy Pruitt. No, I don't want to apologize for it. But I'm really impressed with what he's doing, that he's been able to kind of hold that team together and get them to play well. They were 1-4 and four and looked horrible 
Terrible. They're trending in the right direction. Three and five with four games remaining. I like Brian Maurer, too. He didn't play this week because he had two consecutive concussions. So even though he warmed up with the team, he didn't play, and rightfully so. I think he, he's got some upside for a young quarterback. Looks good, anyway. What happened in Lexington on Saturday night? We'll look at that and then some of the games from around the country as well. And what all of this does to the college football playoff picture. We are now eight days away from the first rankings in the CFP poll coming out. That's the only poll that matters in college football anymore. We'll get to that next in the Renaissance Bank studio with you. Sports Talk Mississippi with you on this Monday afternoon. Glad to have you along. Richard Cross, Michael Borky, Brian Scott Rippey. Hey, Dad, slipped out. If uh, you want to be a part of the conversation, you can do so on the C Spire text line. The number is 601-879-4395. How about the Missouri Tigers? I, I won't say famously, but I very clearly said just two weeks ago, Missouri sitting at five and one. All I got to do is show up the next two weeks. I'll beat Vanderbilt and Kentucky on the road and be seven and one going into an open date before heading to Athens on November 9th. Clearly remember that coming out of my mouth. Nope. Lost 21 14 at Vandy last week. And in the rain on Saturday night in Lexington. They lose 29 to 7. They give up 22 second quarter points. A Cavassier Smoke touchdown run. Great name. Seam Rose had a touchdown run. Chance Poor hit a 43 yard field goal. Lynn Bowden had a 10 yard touchdown run. And then he had a 33 yard touchdown run late in the ballgame. 29 to 7. Kentucky absolutely smoked Missouri. Rippy, you were there in Columbia. Did I that badly misjudge Missouri as a team? I mean, they looked a lot better that night, but at the same time, an Ole Miss team and whatever you think of them had ample opportunities to actually win the game and probably make it a lot closer than the score was and weren't able to. But it wasn't like Missouri was putting Ole Miss away. They're pretty abysmal away from Columbia. I mean, if you look at their schedule, their six wins all came in a row at home. But they lost at Wyoming, at Vanderbilt, and at Kentucky. Excuse yeah. me, five, not six. I mean, look at what Missouri's got left. All right, they're sitting at five and three right now, and two and two in the SEC. All league games remaining. the The redeeming piece of this is that they play Arkansas in Little Rock the Friday after Thanksgiving. Open date this week. They go to Georgia. They host Florida, they host Tennessee, and then they go to Arkansas. Missouri may very well have to beat Arkansas on the final day of their regular seasons to get bowl eligible. Which is a far cry from the preseason thoughts of them possibly being 8-0 going into Athens. And certainly is a far cry from two weeks ago expecting them to be 7-1 going into Athens, with a chance to win the East. 
For being honest, they should. The, the talent level that that team has should be 8-0 right now. They should be. 100% they should be. It feels like Derek Odom. Derek Odom? Barry. Barry Odom. I guess I could be respectful enough to at least remember his name. Um, it, it feels like he's doing this thing every year where he it's like they want him gone and then they play really, really well for a stretch. And it's like, oh yeah, like the future of this thing. And then the inexplicable loss to Wyoming to start the year. What's he doing? And then they rip off five in a row. Yeah, this is our guy. And then they lose these two in the last two weeks. I mean, you, you want to talk about losing favor with your fan base. Go to Vandy and Kentucky in back-to-back weeks and lose them both. Lost to, what was it, 1-4 Vanderbilt? 1-5 Vanderbilt at that point, And then turned around and lost to a running back at quarterback a week later. Yeah. Or a wide receiver at quarterback a week now, later. Now, that wide receiver at quarterback, Lynn Bowden, 21 carries for 204 yards and two touchdowns. He was... <laughs> But the passing numbers, he was 3 of 7 for 54 yards. Hey, you'll take it. Take wins any way you can get them. That gets Kentucky to 4 and 4. All right, so is Kentucky going to be a bowl team? They're off this week. They host Tennessee. They go to Vanderbilt. They go to UT Martin. And they host Louisville. They're going to be a bowl team. Yep. And what a great coaching job, again. To your point just a moment ago, he's playing a wide receiver at quarterback. Period. In winning league games. That's pretty darn impressive. Rest of the college football world on Saturday. Ohio State 38-7 to in a driving rainstorm in Columbus. Absolutely obliterated Wisconsin really in Wisconsin style. It was impressive. It's the scary thing about that day. That's why if you made me rank teams, I'd probably put them even at one, maybe, ahead of LSU because they're so even though they haven't played the schedule that LSU has, uh, according to the S&P, their schedule is 40 spots better than Alabama's for whatever that may be worth to you. But they can beat people in so many ways. They have an explosive wide receiver group and a quarterback that can really throw the football down the field. They also have a pair of running backs, but one in particular that's one of the best in the country, and an offensive line that's great. They can beat you with defense because that has NFL players all over the field, including who I think may be the best player in college football. They can beat you any way you want them to beat you. Borky, I had a smart guy tell me one time, he was talking about consultants. You know, when if you own a business and you hire a consultant, just taking every piece of advice that a consultant gives you, not a good plan. You you still got to look at things and evaluate what works best for you. So here's my parallel. I would put LSU number one because of their body of work. They've got the road win against Texas. They've got the impressive win at home against Auburn. They've got to win against Florida. Their resume is the best. Can't so I would have that. them. No, I would have them number one, but I would have Ohio State number two, and it would be based on the eye test. So 
resume may be my primary criteria for looking at things, but I'm still going to use my brain as to what I think's best overall. And and I, I don't know if that was a good parallel or not. I hope you get where I was going with that. Absolutely. So so it's like I've got multiple tools in my toolbox for evaluating teams, and I've got LSU's body of work to make them number one. I don't know if they'll stay there or not, but I feel comfortable with them there right now. Ohio State looks to me like the second-best team in the country. Clemson, the last two weeks, has quietly shifted it into another gear. After being fairly unimpressive but just winning, the offense is starting to catch up with their defense. And when I say fairly unimpressive, I'm only talking about offensively. Because Trevor Lawrence has been just okay and the running games have been just okay. Their defense has been dominant from the outset. And now Etienne's playing a little bit better. Trevor Lawrence is playing a little bit better. I don't know if I would have Clemson 3 or Alabama 3, but I would have LSU 1 and Ohio State 2 and some combination of Alabama and LSU 3 and 4. It's fair. Penn State was impressive against Michigan State, also in a driving rainstorm. They're now 28-7. and You guys believing Penn State? I don't think so. I think they're good. I don't know if they're like playoff good. Undefeated. We'll see coming up in a couple of weeks when they meet up with Ohio State. They're in, Oklahoma they're in undefeated Minnesota in two weeks. That's right. Wait, is that... Two weeks or this week? That's two weeks. So PJ Flex doing all that lobbying to get them to come to that game instead of uh, LSU Alabama. Yeah, that's not happening. But game day just picked Memphis and SMU over top ten Georgia Florida, which they went to last year, and it's a neutral site game. No way they're going to Minneapolis instead of going to Tuscaloosa. If you're ESPN slash Disney slash whatever corporate entity is involved, wouldn't you kind of want game day to go there so you can send your other pregame show to LSU Alabama? What, the SEC Nation show? SEC Nation, yeah. No, I wouldn't. Because where would they go instead? Wherever. Oh, Miss New Mexico State, same time. I mean, I, I, I'm not being weird, but the SEC Network doesn't get ratings. College Game Day does. It's the biggest game of the year. I, that, I mean, that's well. Then why are they going to Memphis this weekend? Probably because they don't want to stack the SEC two weeks in a row. I mean, I think that's the most logical reason. Sports Talk Mississippi with you. We got more coming up in the Renaissance Bank Studio. So any conversation of Notre Dame being part of the playoff ended after they were blown out by Michigan on Saturday night at Michigan Stadium. By the way, that's a pretty impressive crowd, right? I mean, 115,000, give or take, in basically a sideways rain. Hat tip to those people. I mean, attendance issues all over college football, yes. Not really at Michigan. Certainly not when they play Notre Dame. Oregon won against Washington State, although it turned out to be close. Utah got a win. Those teams are both 7-1. and one. 
And Southern Cal with their loss on Friday night. No, no, they came back and won. It looked the entire game like they were going to lose, and then they came back and beat Colorado late. The lack of defense for Colorado, they really played well defensively in the first half of the game, but in the second half just could not stop Southern Cal. All right, first college football playoff rankings will come out one week from tomorrow night. You get uh, college football playoff rankings on November 5th, 12th, 19th, 26th, December 3rd, and then the college football playoff selection show is Sunday night, or maybe it's Sunday afternoon, December 8th. So all that's coming out on uh, ESPN. So your first rankings will come out Tuesday, November 5th. Based on what we know right now, give me your one through four, Rippy. Ohio State, Clemson would have to be in. No, in order. One through four. Um, Ohio State, LSU, Clemson, and Alabama, though they probably don't both get in, clearly. Borky, give me your order. LSU, Ohio State, Clemson, Alabama. I think I agree with that. Um, so we will not have had LSU Alabama yet. I think it's going to be LSU one, Ohio State two. I think it's going to be Alabama three and Clemson four. You could you could make the argument that it's going to be Penn State four and Clemson five. Now, all Clemson's got to do is keep winning. They're going to get there. They're going if if they go undefeated, they're going to be in the top four. We've talked about that. But based on what has happened to this point in the season, Clemson's resume's not good. It doesn't have any losses on it, but there's nothing that's impressive there. An undefeated Penn State next week has a better resume than Clemson does. Yep. I'm that's what I'm going with. I'm going I'm going Bama. Uh, excuse me, LSU 1, Ohio State 2, Alabama 3, Penn State 4, Clemson 5. Ooh. Mark it down, Bort. Hold me to it. I will. I mean, obviously all of that could change based on, well, let's see. Neither Alabama nor LSU play this week. I think Penn State's off as well. Is Penn State off? Yep, their next game is the ninth against Minnesota. Okay. And does Clemson play this week? Let's see. I mean, it doesn't really matter if they do. No, their, their schedule is an embarrassment. Clemson Clemson. plays Wofford, the Mighty Terriers, on Saturday. Yep. yep. I'm going with that. I'm locking it in right now. LSU 1, Ohio State 2. Is Ohio State off this week? Uh, I do not believe so. Okay. Anyway, they probably play Rutgers or somebody like that. No, they are off this week. Then they host Maryland and then go to Rutgers. Okay. Clemson, sorry, LSU 1, Ohio State 2, Alabama 3, Penn State 4. Clemson 5. First college football playoff rankings. A couple of text messages I want to get to on the C Spire text line. 
601-879-4395 if you want to jump in. Why is game day going to Memphis this week? I got three reasons. One, barbecue. Two, excellent jumping off point for Bama and LSU. And three, did I mention barbecue? I don't really think they're choosing based on barbecue. They're going to do it on Beale Street instead of doing it at the Liberty Bowl. Where would you do it at and around the Liberty Bowl? Out in that Tiger Lane area. But apparently they've got vendors and traffic and parking lots, and they were going to have all kinds of logistical issues related to that, which is maybe what took the announcement so long to come out. Um, long text message here. Normally I wouldn't read one this long, but this is really well, well thought out. It's about Joe Moorhead and Mississippi State. Uh, see, uh, Curtis and Tupelo. Curtis says, here's what I see with this Joe Moorhead team, and this is why the, quote, very nice man, close quote, needs to coach elsewhere. One, our players are poor, uh, poorly conditioned compared to previous years. They give out easily and are getting pushed around by inferior players. Two, we don't play physically, exception first half of the LSU game. First time we practiced in full pads for the, uh, for the full week during Moorhead's tenure was against LSU. Moorhead's off-week schedule, Sunday off, Monday walkthrough, Tuesday and Wednesday gave max reps to red shirts and freshmen. Thursday, Saturdays were, uh, Thursday through Saturday were off days. You can question that approach, and I understand why that falls into your heading under toughness and physicalness, but I think they were trying to use it as a time to get healthy. Number three, he says, we have not been this undisciplined since Cheryl's last couple of years, and he had completely lost his team. His points? Too many penalties, too much trash talk, too many late hits. And finally, he says, I haven't seen Moorhead hold players and coaches accountable in what seemed like obvious coaching moments, i.e. the Willie Gay ejection. He says he does, but it's just been lip service. He says, we have 10 players suspended for eight games for cheating. There was never any evidence of this happening under Mullen or Kroon. I'm not sure that it's fair to lay that at the feet of Joe Moorhead. In fact, I'm pretty sure... That it's not fair to lay it at the feet of Joe Moorhead. He says, look how Jeffrey Simmons and our team overreacted to a silly tweet last year during Kentucky week. It single-handedly beat us, and Moorhead didn't have enough control or foresight to stop it. He goes on to say there are many deficiencies which can be overcome with time and experience, but what I see with Moorhead are fa- uh, foundational and character traits that don't often change. He's not the right choice for Mississippi State, and I was a big fan of Kroon because he took over a program in shambles and made us respectable, though not in the win column. At least he stood for discipline and doing things the right way. I can't tell what Moorhead stands for. He's supposed to be an offensive guru, and we don't score consistently. That was from Curtis and Tupelo. There is something to the identity argument, because it's only been a season and a half, but I mean, we've talked about it for weeks now. It's the same conversation every single week. It's when they play road SEC games and now it's spilled over to home games as well they did it with Kentucky they did it with even though that's a game they won and they did it with Kansas State they start slow they make mental mistakes whether it be penalties or turnovers and they get out physical at the point of attack I mean that's happened all season long the lack of preparedness especially road games in the SEC have switched over from habit to identity. It's who they are at this point because you have no evidence to suggest otherwise. They were bailed out a year ago by having a defense that was filled with NFL guys. That's why they won eight games a year ago. 
It was just a mask on a, a larger identity crisis. And by the way, Jeffrey Simmons is back and playing very well for the Titans. Quite well. He's really talented. Uh, George in West Point says, I think most state fans have already written this season off for the year. All of those I've talked to have, will Mississippi State win another game this season? Yeah, they will. Abilene Christian. They're obviously going to win against Abilene Christian. They're going to lose to Alabama. And then they've got two coin flip games. Arkansas is a coin flip game. Although, is it really... It shouldn't be, but the way they've played the last four weeks, man. I, I'm I'm not willing to call Arkansas a coin flip game. Now we'll see if it turns out to be something different. But I'm predicting Mississippi State to win, and I think comfortably. They're a touchdown favorite. If it turns out not to be the case, I'll say I was wrong. But Arkansas is bad, and they're not talented. And they don't have a good quarterback. And they don't have a very good running game. And they don't have a good defense. I know Mississippi State's got its issues. I think you're headed for Mississippi State needing a win against Ole Miss on Thanksgiving night to become bowl eligible. So I think they beat Arkansas, have the open date, lose to, to Alabama, beat Abilene Christian, and then need a win against Ole Miss to get to six. And it's going to take Ole Miss pulling off a massive upset against either Auburn on the road where they're an 18-point underdog or LSU and Oxford where they're probably going to be a three to three-and-a-half touchdown underdog against LSU to have the same scenario for them in the Egg Bowl. Giving them a win against New Mexico State, which would be four. They would have to get one of those two against either Auburn or LSU to make the Egg Bowl matter for bowl eligibility. Unless APR somehow comes into effect, which some people have kind of talked about a little bit. Uh, We'll see. Sports Talk Mississippi with... Super Talk Mississippi Media Production.